Hey, it's Brian Volkweiss. I'm the CEO of the Nacelle Company. I created the Toys That Made Us and some other things. Uh, you are listening to The Man Cave, uh, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of The Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, boo. Yo, Adrian. I with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the man cave, your host, Elias. Brian, welcome to the cave. Thank you for having me. How are you, man? What's new with you? Doing all right. You know, trying to, trying to keep it all together in the, the beautiful year of 2020. <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing to see here right how did the whole quarantine treat you i know you've been busy with projects but how the how, how did that whole situation treat you you know to use a word that i've said more in the last eight months than the rest of my life combined times a million uh we we have been very blessed um we we had a lot of shows in production and uh not one of them got shut down um so that was very blessed uh very lucky um, and you know, getting to see my family every day is really not something I ever thought would happen until I was retired. So it's, you know, for what it is, listen, I'm not going to lie. I, I used to have to get on an airplane four to eight times a month. I'm kind of enjoying not doing that either. Yeah, so, but I'm, but I'm sure you're ready to go back at it. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're all, I miss the office very much. I miss seeing my colleagues. Um, I, I miss that very, very much, but, um, I don't miss the airplanes, but, but I am ready to start shooting again as we used to. So, yeah, man, so I was doing some research on you, man. So you're a film TV producer. You're the director, founder of a, a cell company, comedy dynamics. You're the creator of these, these two are my, one of my favorite shows on Netflix. You got the toys that made us, the movies that made us, man, you've been stand-up specials. You've been busy. We we have been busy. That's that's an accurate analysis. <laughs> how do you how, how do you do it, man? How do you keep up with all that? You know, I I get asked that a lot, and as I think with most people, it's like, you know, I just do what I do, and people seem to perceive that as being very busy. Like I don't, I'm not trying to be busy. I'm not trying to do it. Like it's just. You know, I think it, if I had to guess, like if I could try and psychoanalyze myself, like I think part of it is I like to be busy and I like to be like, I don't want to be in my office with nothing to do. So the minute anything happens that I'm like, oh, cool, I'll pursue it because why not? You know, it's always good to have more stuff going on than less. The interesting thing that's happened over the last five years or so is, you know, I used to have to develop like 25 things or more to get something greenlit. And now it's almost like three to one to get something greenlit. And wow. I feel like I haven't psychologically gotten used to that yet. So like, I'm still operating from the mindset uh, for every success, I have 25 failures. And now it's like for every success, I have three, two failures. So that doesn't mean I'm like, oh, shit, I can take my foot off the gas. I'm not going to. That's just not my personality. How often do you get emails or phone calls 
about your next project? Do you have an idea for your next one? Do you have an idea for another one? Well, I don't, I, I don't get emails asking me if I have ideas for my next project, but I mean, between two and 20 times a day, I get emails or DMs of other people telling me their ideas and why I should produce their ideas. That, that's a daily thing. Uh, I see, I see. So let's get to know a little bit more about you. Uh, you're originally from New York, right? Yeah, from Queens. Yeah. How was it uh, as a kid growing up there? It was the was best, it? man. It was the best. Yeah? I mean, listen, it, you know, I was a kid, so I, I, I'm sure if I was older, I may have felt a bit different. But, you know, it was like, it's it's a weird thing to say, but it's like, it was cozy and safe, but still had a real edge of danger and, and violence. Um, and I'm sure if I had been badly hurt or my friends or family were hurt, I would not look at it as nostalgically as I do, but because all of us got through it, you know, I got mugged a few times and stuff like that, but you know, they just took my money or my jacket or whatever, but like, it was just kind of fun. You know, it was like, there were, there's so many rules now, you know, I got three kids and I, you know, again, it's like, I look at my kids and I'm like, Oh my God, thank God it's changed. But yeah, it was kind of fun. How old are your kids? No I got, rules. I got, two, I got two kids. No rules. I got two kids. I said, I got two kids myself. Uh, how old are your kids? Uh, six, five and two. Oh yeah. So you're, you're around my age. Uh, I have a five-year-old and a, just turned three-year-old and they're a lot of work. They are a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> Holy moly. So how old were you when you kind of had an idea that you, that you wanted to get into the entertainment industry? What was your goal at first? I, it's such a cheesy answer, but I swear it's true. I saw Star Wars when I was like barely three. And the best analogy I can give you, like I did not know what the word documentary meant. I didn't even know the word documentary. But if you analyze my perception of the movie, it's what you and I today would call a documentary. Like, mm -hmm. I thought it was real. So like, for a year, I was telling every people be like, Hey, Brian, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, uh, I want to work for the rebellion. I want to be a type an X wing pilot, you know, and yeah. it started to, you know, freak out my mom a bit. So she got me this book, you know, for kids, I still have it, you know, about the making of Star Wars. And pretty much ever since I saw that book, this is all I've ever wanted to do. Uh, and I, you know, I went to college, you know, cause uh, my parents wanted me to go to college and uh, you know, I came, I drove out to LA the next day. Wow. Just like that, huh? Yeah. What was the reaction of your family when you did that? They, they, it, it took them about 10 years to be like, oh, I think he's okay. Uh, my mom wanted me to become, you know, the cliche doctor or lawyer or something like that. Um, but then I, I remember at one point about 10, 12 years after getting here, my dad was, um, my dad was like a lawyer and he was at like a restaurant with all these lawyers and all of them were complaining about their kids needing money. And my dad suddenly realized I, I had never asked them for any money. And he was like, he said to me, he's like, it made me think maybe you're doing okay. And I'm like, yeah, dad, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, the irony was when he asked me that question, I really was already doing well. 
you know, I, 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 sac- I, I, I really struggled, you know, for eight, nine years. Uh, but yeah, once, once when I started doing pretty okay, uh, that's when he asked me, he was like, yeah, you seem to be doing all right. When you first moved out to uh, LA, what was one of the first things you worked on? The first thing I worked on was this independent film. I don't even know if it got released ever called Going Back to Cali. And this, this was a very funny situation. The director and producers, they decided for whatever reason, we are gonna make an African-American version of Swingers. And they literally were making an African-American version of Swingers. They would at night watch Swingers and then during the day, basically reshoot it, but with black actors. Uh, so I worked on that. That was literally, I got out here July 1st, 98. And I think, and that movie shot in Vegas. And that, uh, I, was, I was working on that about seven or eight days later. So I did a lot of independent stuff for a long time. Not that long, actually, about six months. Uh, and then I worked on Castaway. Uh, I was a production assistant in the wardrobe department. Um, And then I met a man, I basically was like, okay, I gotta like, like everything I'm doing is like after the movie was greenlit, I wanna get a job where I'm working on stuff like before it's greenlit so I could have like some say in what's getting made and what I'm working on. So I basically stopped there. You know, I was doing well. I, I was even offered a job on the Grinch that stole Christmas, like the Jim Carrey one. And I started interning for free uh, with a producer. And then through him, I met a manager. Through the manager, I got a job. Then I became a manager. And I, rep- I was a manager for about 10 years, representing pretty much exclusively comedians. And... Um, and then the rest is history. I eventually retired from management, and now uh, you know we're doing all right. Yeah. Speaking of, I mean, was that with Barry Katz? Yes. Yeah, That's he's exactly got. He, yeah, he has a. Well, I don't know if he still does it or not, but for a while he had a podcast going on talking about the business. It was great to listen to that. Yes, uh, I don't know if he's doing it either, but uh, it was wonderful. Yeah. So I saw that you managed uh, some pretty big comedians. How was it like managing people like Jeff Ross and Dane Cook and? You got a list going on there. Uh, you know, like with any job, there were good days and bad days. Um, it was a really weird job. I mean, being a manager is tough, like really tough. Uh, I always say one of the greatest accomplishments uh, I will have in my life uh, is that I got to retire and stay in show business. Most, most managers don't uh, get to do that. Like when they're done, they're done. Mm. But you also in a way it kind of helped you produce like the comedy shows too and everything. Well, I mean, not in a way, I mean, it literally was the foundation behind the, the modern version of our company. So yeah, I, I would produce one or two specials a year for clients. And then I was like, well, why don't I just do this for non-clients? Uh, and that's how everything came together. That's awesome. Who's been your favorite comedian you think? Joke wise, or that I've worked with, worked with, you know, man, I don't have like one, but I mean, I love Bill Burr, I love DL Hughley, Jim Gaffigan's like, I still can't believe I get to work with him. Uh, uh I said Gary Goldman, Beth Stelling is amazing, 
I mean, most comedians are some degree of very nice and awesome. There, there's very few that are jerks. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I just talked to Nicole Birch uh, earlier this week. I had her on the podcast right? about about her new show, and I know that you you helped her with her first uh, special. Yeah, we distributed it. Yeah. So yeah, she was uh, she was great to talk to. I'm actually releasing that episode in a, in about a week or two. So let's talk about uh, the toys that made us. Man, what inspired you to create this show? Like, what was the? How did you get the idea for this? You know, the original inspiration was I was at a Borders Books. God, about nine years ago. And I don't know why anymore, but I was looking for information about Transformers toys. And there were no books in the store about Transformers, but there was like 8,000 books about like the War of 1812. And I'm like, and no offense to the War of 1812, but I'm like, no one is like really affected by that war day to day anymore. Like, but Transformers is like revered by probably over a billion people. Why, why is there nothing in here about Transformers? And then I, the more I looked around, I'm like, there's nothing about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's nothing about G.I. Joe. And like the only books they had about toys were Star Wars and Barbie. But even those books, they really weren't books. They were like price guides. So those, that, yeah. that was the inspiration. Uh, and from that moment to the moment I found out Netflix was going to do it, it was seven years. Wow. Did, so you, did you pitch that anywhere at first or yeah. how did that? Dude, I pitched it everywhere. And I basically thought I had set it up twice, once at History Channel, once at Nat Geo. Like we were budgeting, like there were contracts going back and forth. And literally at the last minute, uh, it didn't happen twice. Wow. So like, so growing up, like what were some of your favorite toys? I know you mentioned Transformers. I mean, my favorite, favorite toy, bar none, was Star Wars. Like, Star Wars is always uh, in its own category. Uh, so after Star Wars, it would probably be Transformers, G.I. Joe are tied. Maybe G.I. Joe is a little bit ahead of Transformers now that I think about it. And then, you know, the one toy I always forget about, but ironically, it's the only toy I literally have never stopped playing with uh is lego so i mean i uh you know i've in college like i've never stopped buying lego sets you still buy the theme movie legos well yeah i mean i buy uh you know batman and i have a lot of i have i have some batman and quite a bit of star wars not as much as you would probably think uh, but I got my, I mean, I love the architecture series. I love the, I'm just looking at my collection. I love a lot of their space stuff. Like I got the, uh, the international space station. I got the women of, uh, NASA, uh, you know, space shuttle set, all that. Uh, a lot of my sets are actually from Lego ideas. Mm. So you're a huge toy collector. Is there like one piece that stands out the most? That's like your favorite. No, I mean, I, it's, dude, I got over 2000 toys. Like there's no one toy that's my yeah. favorite, but of the 2000 plus, there's probably 10 that like 
if there was a fire and they were destroyed, it would like depress me for the rest of my life. Mm. Whereas the other two, 1,990, I'd be okay about losing if I unfortunately had to. Now you have toys that are like still in mint condition where you don't open them. How hard is it for your kids not to touch those things? So I, I, this is funny. All my friends make fun of me for this. All my toy friends, especially my toy friends who own toy stores, like I'm kind of anti-box. And the reason is like, like it's the toy that gives me joy. So like, I love Optimus Prime. I want to see Optimus Prime. I don't want to see the box. And then I hate paying for something that I don't care about. So I'm always like, Do you, does anybody know where I could get one of these? But no box. And I'm like, apparently the only toy collector who's like that. And then to answer your second question, for whatever reason, my kids who fuck up everything in the house, I mean, they just fucking trash everything. For some reason, uh, they are very respectful of my collection. And like, they know there's like one or two things that's cool for them to touch. And that's all they touch. That's awesome. Is there a toy that you haven't found yet that you're looking forward to add on, on your collection? Yeah, there's so the number one would, I mean, listen, the number one thing I want, the only reason I don't have it is because like a shitty version of it is 80 grand. It's like sometimes 120, 140 grand. And that's a figure called Vlix from star Wars droids. So if you remove that from the equation and the only reason I don't have it is financial. Um, there's a great, uh, I, I, I'm, I've, what, as toys that made us got going, I became more and more like deep dive down the rabbit hole, like collecting weirder and weirder stuff. The number one thing that I want that I don't have is a, there was in the eighties, early eighties, at Colgate ran a campaign where if you bought a tube of toothpaste, you got a Star Wars figure as well. And they did one of those with Bib Fortuna, which just always cracked me up because he notoriously had like the worst teeth in Star Wars. So that that is the number one thing I don't have that I want. That's not, you know, six figures. So you've had a few seasons of the show. What's been like your favorite episode? out of all of them, or do you have like a few that stands out also? Star Star Wars is my favorite episode. It's my favorite episode. You know, Star Wars is always in a world by itself. I mean, I love the episode, but you know, we got to recreate ILM. So, I mean, that, that was just wonderful. But listen, I love the He-Man episode. Uh, I love the Barbie episode. I love the Star Trek episode. I mean, if there's like the Star Trek episode, I just got to do what I wanted to do. And I feel like it was a good Star Trek documentary as well as a good Star Trek toys documentary. I don't know if anyone else agrees with me. And obviously I'm very biased, but I, I love that episode. How did you decide what toys you wanted to do for this? Was it just the, the love of the toys that you had for you or did you have like other people with ideas also? I try to balance it between two variables. The first was like, what toys do we have to do? And yeah. then I should save some for future seasons if I'm lucky enough to get future seasons, which thank God I did that because that's what's kept pulling the show forward. Now, do we know, are we going to see any more seasons? All I can say to that is my cliched but accurate 
Stay tuned. All right. Sounds good. Now, from that, you made the spinoff, The Movies That Made Us. Yes. How did you come up with that? Well, I can. how did you come up with that idea? Like, what were you, what were you doing when that idea came, came to your head? Well, it's really funny what happened. After Toys That Made Us was successful, Netflix asked me to come in and pitch them spinoffs. All right. So my team and I spent well over 100 hours, I mean, maybe over 200 hours, putting together a tape and a deck for the games that made us. And we worked on that for about a month. About 48 hours before we went in for the meeting, and I don't even know why I did this in retrospect. I was like, maybe we should also pitch the movies that made us. Maybe I could get them to green light two shows. So all I did, we spent about two hours doing this. Uh, We made a poster, our art department, of the very famous cliched image of Bruce Willis uh, from the poster of Die Hard, but we CGI'd um, Frank Sinatra's head onto uh, Bruce Willis's body. Because if you've seen the episode, Frank Sinatra was in the, Die Hard is the sequel to another movie. A lot of people don't know that. And Frank Sinatra was contractually obligated if they were gonna make more to play John McClane again. So, that's all I did. I went in with a cool, funny poster of, of Frank Sinatra on Bruce Willis's body in front of Nakatomi Tower. And the meeting was an hour long uh, and they greenlit movies and did not uh, greenlight games. And I'm, are you excited? Were you excited that that got picked before games? Um, yes, because to be honest with you, ironically, I'm much more of a movie person uh, than a, uh, a game. I like games. Games are great, but I'm, I'm more of a movie guy. Yeah. So how, how did you decide what uh, movies were going to be for the first season? Because you did Dirty Dancing, Home Alone, Ghostbusters, and obviously Die Hard because that was your pitch. But like, what made you pick those movies for first? And how could you go with Star Wars at first with the love of your Star Wars? Star Wars for me is if we do it, like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't cover Star Wars in 50 minutes or less. Right. Like I need at least two hours. And to be honest with you, I probably need four. Um, So that's why Star Wars isn't in there. The reason we picked those movies was as always, you know, I wanted to do movies that I was passionate about, but you know, I got a business to run. I also picked movies that I thought would do well. So I, Home Alone was a no brainer. It's a comedy, it's beloved. Die Hard was a no-brainer, like you said. It was the pitch. Ghostbusters was the perfect movie because it was sci-fi, fantasy, and comedy, so four quadrants. And Dirty Dancing, the nickname of Dirty Dancing is uh, Star Wars for girls. Um, And that's, you know, a testament to its popularity and size. And I've always liked the movie. You know, I used to watch it all the time as a kid. So... Those the, and Netflix approved them. And then, you know, unlike Toys That Made Us, where Netflix really just defers to me, you know, on movies that made us, Netflix had a ton of data, obviously, on how movies do. So, you know, I sent them my list and then they cross referenced it with their data. And that's, you know, that was a part of it as well. So, so, so you mentioned you, you enjoyed Star Wars growing up. What were like, 
some other movies that didn't make the list for the first season. Well, it's funny. They're they're you know we're making more right now. So a lot I did of- I did see that on Instagram. You announced season two. Yeah. So RoboCop and Aliens uh, were definitely uh, supposed to be in season one. Had it been more episodes, uh, so that those the, especially RoboCop. Uh, I mean, the, the, those are two of my favorite movies of all time. So, um, so yeah. So that the one movie we still have not started on yet is Eighty Nine Batman and Terminator One. Once those hopefully get greenlit, then you know a lot of my favorites are starting to get done. And then hopefully they'll let me do four episodes on Star Wars. What do you think about, because I'm an 80s guy too. It's like, what do you think about like Back to the Future and Karate Kid? Do you think we'll see that? Well, Back to the Future is in production right now. Uh, Karate Kid, I don't know about. It might be too small. But because yeah. of Cobra Kai, now it might be perfect. There you go. There you go. So during COVID, uh, you had another show on Amazon, a, a toy store, a toy store near you. How'd you that come up with that correct. idea? <laughs> well, basically, basically, I was like, when COVID hit, a lot of my, you know, I'm friends with people that own toy stores. Yeah. So, like, I'm hearing from, you know, these guys who own stores, which half of them are husband and wives, so there's a lot of women, too. But, like, I was talking to Kyle at Black Cat Comics in Burbank, who's one of my uh, two home stores. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, quarantine, da, da, da. And I said to him, I go, because no one had ever thought about this in our lifetime. I'm like, well, dude, what happens if there's a quarantine? And he's like, well, I don't have money coming in, but my expenses stay the same. And I'm like, oh, that's bad. So that got me thinking, what could we do to help support the stores? And as I own a production company. I was like, maybe we can make a show about the stores to help raise their profile and make them money. And that was the inspiration. How many episodes you do that? Uh, we, we, we don't laugh. Uh, we're, we're scheduled to, to do 50. Wow. That's, we've, I mean, that's, we've that's good for you. <laughs> What's that? I said, that's good for you. <laughs> It's good. Yeah, it's good for everybody. Yeah, uh, we put out five uh, already. The next five drop every season is five episodes. Uh, the season two drops on Christmas Day, uh, and then I'm hoping to do fifteen next year. Wow, I miss Toy Stores. The only Toy Store we had, well, obviously it was uh, Toys R Us, and that closed a few years ago. But before that was just KB, and that was about it. And my daughter loved when I brought her there, and now she's like. We drive by. It's a Halloween store. It's so sad. I know. So sad. And I love going there because you know, like, I mean, I don't. I'm not a huge toy collector like you, but I like to buy like, I used to buy like sports figures and leave them in boxes. I'm the opposite. I like to keep things in boxes, you know, or like even like I turn around and I have like my Ghostbusters Peter Venkman in a box. I found it a couple weeks ago at Target and I picked it up. Nice. It's like. I like to collect that kind of stuff. Movies, movie uh, figures and stuff like that. That's what I'm into. That's good stuff. I got a bunch of that too. Yeah. So what, what's next for you? Any other projects that you haven't announced yet that you can that are coming out? Well, I can't announce anything that's not announced, but uh, we have a show on Disney Plus that we're partnered with Dwayne Johnson on called Behind the Attraction. 
that comes out in uh, the, the first part of uh, 2021. Uh, season two of the show we do for BET Plus called uh, All The Way Black. That comes out in, uh, when does that come out? I think November 8th, actually. Uh, and like I said, Toy Store Near You comes out on um, Christmas Day. And we're working on some other stuff. I can't, oh, and then we have movies. Uh, ho- we've called it holiday movies. Uh, we got the holiday movies that come out on uh, December 1st. And that's Elf and Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. How about any comedy? Any uh, any new comedy specials coming out? Um, we, due to COVID, uh, have not been able to shoot. So we've been acquiring a lot of specials. Uh, and the last special we did before COVID uh, is also coming out in December. And that's a show we produced uh, with Amy Poehler uh, called Nate. You need your own streaming platform, I think. What's that? So I think you need your own streaming platform. One day, one day. Is that the plan? Uh, not yet, but it could be. Ryan, uh, how can the listeners uh, find you on social media? You know, I'm under my own name on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I don't do Twitter or whatever. So uh, I, if you got both, I'd go with Instagram. If you don't, go with Facebook. But yeah, it's my name. And hopefully I don't annoy too many people with my posts. They're great posts. It's all about toys and movies. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, I try. I try. Yeah. Brian, man, thank you for coming on the show. This was fun. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, the MCC Until next time. Until next time.